Hey everybody. Hello. Before we get started this week, we have a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Do it, fools. If you do, you will get your very own shout out and badass lady meter rating, whether ye be a lady or ye be a non-lady. We have two new reviews to shout out. Um, thank you so much, both of you. We, Since we took a break in recording this month, we get lots of reviews to talk about, so it feels great. We appreciate you. The first is Alice PS, which is a very mysterious username. I really like it. Alice, your Badass Lady Meter rating is the hope that one day we will be able to cover the entire His Dark Materials series. Our other review is from Shenandoah C. That's a great name. I know, these usernames are just killing me. Your Badass Lady Meter rating is plenty of brand new friends who love reading and talking about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Best of luck in Columbia. These are so specific. <laughs> I'm, I'm being supportive. <laughs> we appreciate all of you so much. Thank you. We can't believe that anyone listens, let alone reviews. So I feel like Grace is being real down on us right now. <laughs> I can't believe we have a single listener. No, but it's still pretty cool to look back and be like, hey, this podcast thing that we've been doing for a few years now, coming yeah, up on three um, and loving it just as much. So yeah, we'll be here no matter what. But if you'd like to stop by and if you'd like to leave a review so we can reach some more folks, we would absolutely adore that. We would be delighted. And now the episode. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yes. This week, Fire and Hemlock by Diana Wynne-Jones. Whoosh. So it's been a while since we've recorded. Very excited. We're back in my little office and we're ready to dig into this DWJ goodness. Madeline. She's a modern master. She is. I've been, okay, I've been spending a lot of time on book Twitter lately, and I recently saw a tweet just shouting out Diana Wynne-Jones and saying that she deserved the level of fame and the place that J.K. Rowling occupies today. And while I totally agree, I also understand why she didn't get that, and books like this are like honestly kind of part of that, mm-hmm. um, because this is a stunning and complex and masterful piece of fantasy, but it's also difficult. And I, I'm kind of wondering, when I was doing some Googling to help myself, I don't know, I just wanted some discussion about this book after I finished it, and I found a lot of uh, Cliff's Notes-style study guys, mm-hmm. and I just wonder, if anyone has read this book in some kind of scholastic setting, like for English class, mm-hmm. please let us know, because I'm just really curious. And That would be so amazing. And I really wish that I had an English class where I got to read Diana Wynne-Jones instead of just friggin' John Steinbeck, whom I loathe. <laughs> Yeah, my biggest takeaway after rereading this is that I want to study it. Yeah, I, I do want so to much read there. it in it's a so class. Dense. Um, and I wish I had had more time to research it before recording today, but life has been busy, so we're you're getting our <laughs> one of our less researched episodes. But hot take. Maybe I'll follow up with more, and um, we'll see. But I I do. I do enjoy that it has these more difficult components, like, for example, a kind of obscure ending that's not totally clear. Um, and I do, I did notice that the suggested Google search for Fire and Hemlock, the first one is Fire and Hemlock ending because people are confused. That's <laughs> what I Googled. <laughs> um, and I, I get that. It does make sense. Um, but for a book that's basically about it's like a piece of meta fiction um mm-hmm. and it's also interwoven with these old scottish ballads um, there's many layers of narrative and narrative device and framing 
and our own reality mixed with fantasy elements, which is Diana Wynn Jones's mm-hmm. thing. It's been kind of incredible, basically having this podcast serve as a sort of Diana Wynn Jones masterclass, um, yeah. going back and revisiting her work just book by book mm-hmm. and also being able to now pick out these similarities and the themes because something like, so this and Witch Week, also by Diana and yeah. Jones, which we have another episode on, actually have a lot of similarities between the two of them. But I can tell that she had very different agendas for each one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that in more depth. But it's just such a joy to have this opportunity. And I highly recommend everyone listening just go out and start working through her oeuvre if you haven't already. And if you have, reread it. It's worth it. Oeuvre. With that, we will begin by discussing the cover of the book and the way the publisher chose to package and promote our childhood copy. So this is one of my Diana Wynn Jones books that has stayed in better shape <laughs> somehow. Yeah, I remember that copy. Um, it's doing well. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think I didn't read it as often as Howl's Moving Castle or Witch Week and the other Crestancy books. Um, or the Dark Lord of Darkholm. Um, so those all suffered <laughs> quite a bit more at my child hands. My child hands. <laughs> child hands. <laughs> Scrabbling at the book cover. Yeah, it's okay. Horrifying. So the bone I have to pick with this cover is that I wish they would have just used a representation of the fire and hemlock photograph that is the titular work of art and also part of... Polly's kind of through line that allows her to pull her different sets of memories and experiences together. I don't like this cover. There are other editions that do have a representation of Fire and Hemlock, the photo, um, that is super cool. Oh. Showing it to Madeline. I like that one so much more. And I think it captures really well the kind of uncertain figures that may be coming out of the pillars of smoke. They should be more uncertain. Those are absolutely people. But in the background, in the background, they're more uncertain. And you can get kind of a hint of the heroes coming out of the fire. Yeah. This is a much better, much, much better cover. But the cover we got is a... A sort of um, impressionistic painting with child Polly in the foreground and Hunsden House in the background with Thomas Lynn in the middle ground <laughs> looking okay. very strange. He looks like very a, strange. a 60-year-old <laughs> high school principal. I don't get it. And has on like a frilly shirt like a with rough? a high neck collar and a black overcoat. Um, it must be him because he has the long face, he has the glasses and he has the kind of colorless hair, but he looks about a million years old well, we and for a book that's concerned with a romance between like a younger person and an older person. Why would they put this picture on the cover just to emphasize like she's a child and he's ancient because, because there's already some discomfort with their relationship well, for and me. And this just hammers at home uh, for sure. And by the end of the book, we find out he was like 25 at the beginning. Right. He looks like he's 60 and on this cover. It's That's very does strange. Not makes sense to me. At the same time, there is something I like about this cover. And that is that it reminds me of the odd paintings that Polly and Tom are meant to choose from so at the beginning of the book that kind of sets off Polly's misdeeds and her involvement in his life and his curse. Um, So maybe, you know, if we're looking at it from that perspective and like if we're giving quite a bit of benefit of the doubt to this cover, then we could say that they were trying to achieve that same kind of unsettling, odd, I'm unsettled painting effect. A plus. Um, Polly is staring intently (laughs) out and Tom has a finger to his mouth and is going, hmm. It's weird. <laughs> it's he looks strange. like one of the melting Nazis from Indiana Jones. At <laughs> <laughs> the end of Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark. Yeah, that's exactly what he looks like. His skin is falling off of I'm his face. I'm uncomfortable. And it's printed on the spine. And Tom is on the back again. Oh, so three Toms. Three of him. Three of the <laughs> awful Tom depiction. It's, yeah, it's a little bit weird. Um, a little and this cover art is from 2002, and it is by Doug Beekman. So I'm sorry, Doug Beekman. <laughs> I'm sorry that we're just 
<laughs> really giving you a rough time here. I think you're very talented, Doug, but I think that your interpretation here was missed the mark. Something else very funny is that they're both in older timey clothing um, than she has, like, when the book is hair. actually set. And well, I think her hair is accurate because it's supposed to be like loose and wild and fair. I, th- I think her hair is pretty much the she only bangs thing about though. This, she she right. should not have bangs. Why can't she have bangs? Because she re- she barely ever cuts her hair. Bangs need you have to trim them like every six weeks. Okay, one last thing. Have you looked closely at these bangs? It looks like she cut them herself. Oh no. <laughs> It looks like in Calvin and Hobbes when Hobbes cuts Calvin's hair. hair. Those bangs are giving away that this is a child without a lot of parental care or guidance. (laughs) I can't take it away. This cover is getting really dark. Um, The the other piece I was going to say is that they have older timey clothing on. And that reminds me of when the two of them are coming up with their pretend story for the first time about the hero and Tan Cole, if that's how you pronounce it. Ten cool. Ten cool. Um, and they realize when they actually see that these people are real, that they got their timing off. Remember, because that Tom says that when they go to the hardware store and everything is like, they're, everyone's very modern. They're like, oh yeah, we were yeah. putting it in like more of a storybook, like olden days setting. So maybe that's a meta joke. I'm really, I don't know why I want this cover to be better than Can it you is. you stop showing it to me? Can you put it down? <laughs> okay, I'm done brandishing it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what uh, that's what got, got me into this book from the start, besides Diana Wynne Jones's name on the cover. By the time I acquired this book, I would have read anything by her. Um, not to say that it's not an excellent book. Right. No, I'm just saying it's not a strong cover. I would have read a napkin she scribbled on. Honestly, yes. I, I mean, mean, yeah, I would. If anyone has a Diana Wynne Jones napkin, please. Um, so getting we'll that, buy. getting that unpleasant business out of the way. Madeline is going to go ahead and give us a quick plot summary for those who may not have read the book before, who haven't visited it in a while. Um, And just an upfront disclaimer, this plot is complex. It weaves through different periods of time and memories, and uh, Madeline's going to do a great job. Okay. So the book starts with Polly clearing out her old bedroom, uh, and uh, she looks at the picture the fire and hemlock picture and it triggers this second set of memories. I think it's the book that initially triggers it when she's reading the book that Thomas and his quartet wrote. Okay. Right. And she's remember, she's thinking, Oh, these stories don't seem right. And I swear I read this and it was by someone else. Yes. So she finds this hidden set of second memories in her head Uh, And then she begins to think through them. Uh, They ended four years prior and began when she was 10. So from like age 10 to 15. And then she like tells through them. The entire book is framed as her thinking through them and being like, how did I forget this? How did I forget that? This is what actually happened. Um, Those memories begin when she stumbles into Hunston House, uh, which is near her grandma's house. And she was playing with her best friend, Nina. Um, In the house, it was weird. There was some kind of funeral going on. And she was approached by a man named Thomas Lynn, who she thought was really old, uh, but was not. She was just 10 and he was like 25. So, you know, older, especially at that time. And uh, he says, my ex-wife's mom died and I get six pictures. She says, okay, fine. She meets the ex-wife, Laurel. Laurel is really beautiful and also terrifying. Um, He uh, takes six pictures. Polly tricks him into taking nicer pictures than he was technically allowed to take. Uh, Moving on. Here's a great sentence from the Wikipedia summary. Over the following years, Tom and Polly continue a friendship largely through correspondence with occasional visits. Tom sends her books and letters with stories in them, many of which tie into the general theme of his predicament. Uh, together, the two come up with stories about a hero named Tan Cool and his assistant, Hero, who are Mr. Lynn and Polly's alter egos, respectively. These uh, identities, it turns out that things that Polly and Tom say, they're coming true in real life. Um, The book kind of follows Polly through her schooling, the different friends that she makes, their connections to Hunston House and this weird 
curse slash obligation that Tom is caught in along with um, some other young men that Polly knows, like Seb, who is creepy and is the son of Laurel's actual husband Mm -hmm. and also Leslie, which is a great name for a boy. And (laughs) he also falls into the trap and he's like the son of Tom's brother who may not have existed until Polly and Tom created him. Uh, He made some kind of deal with Laurel to get out of it. And Leslie and Tom ended up getting pulled into that. So, Mm Anyways, this is also set against the backdrop of uh, Polly's parents having, well, they get divorced. Her parents are comically awful and Polly ends up living with her grandmother because neither of her parents wants her. And this continues uh, until Polly is 15. At this point, she and Tom have had several kind of fantastical encounters with different evil forces that are linked to their storytelling And also the web of curse from Hunsden House. Uh, Tom also joins up with three other musicians. He's a cellist and they uh, create a quartet and they play music. Um, He and Polly exchange uh, letters. She about her plays, he about his music and his concerts. And then around the time that she's 15. And throughout they're using fake names and coded language to hide what they're doing from Mr. Leroy, Laurel's husband, who has continued to threaten Polly and warn her to stay away from Tom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Seb, who is the son of Mr. Leroy, um, really, Mr. Leroy is really weird and creepy. Uh, Seb is really weird and creepy. They show up all the time watching Polly. Yeah. Even in really strange places. Yeah. And Seb is trying to convince Polly to marry him. Um, Well... Okay, when Polly's around 15, she wants to find out what's actually going on with Tom. So she kind of just creates this spell, like puts it all together from things that she's figured out on a subconscious level. And she actually sees Tom and Laurel together. uh, And then Tom tells her to go away. But Laurel wakes up and looks into Polly's eyes. And then that's when she steals. She puts away half of her memories. Uh, this is tied into another curse. And uh, um, she tells Polly that Tom is dying and that he only has a few years left to live. And Polly's embarrassing herself by clinging on to this older man. So then Polly leaves and she forgets everything else. Bring this all back to at the end when Polly's 19, she remembers all of this. She spent most of the book going through it. And she realizes that she has to try to save Tom. So she talks to her grandmother about it. And her grandmother sends her to the ceremony at Hunsden House where Tom is going to, like, get eaten uh, or his soul is going to get ripped out or something. Used up. Yeah. Um, And uh, Polly does figure out how to fix things. It kind of seems like Mr. Leroy gets consumed. Hopefully Seb will, too. Uh (laughs) (laughs) We had dragon babies are all about <laughs> teenage boys having their souls ripped from them. Uh, uh, and I think Leslie escapes because he's set free from the spell that Laurel for had now, under. but it's not really clear what because they don't kill Laurel. They just free Tom. Mm-hmm. And it seems like at the end, Polly and Tom figure out a way to be together. Um, but the ending is very uh, sub subconscious I want to say like it's kind of you have to parse out what's actually going on Mm -hmm. and I feel like there's room for interpretation Mm -hmm. yes yeah agreed great summary thank you I knew it would be because in my secret forgotten memories we'd already done this before okay (laughs) so let's talk about old and new impressions and discuss how rereading this book changed our understanding of it um I will go first because I don't think you've read this before. Uh, Nope. Okay. (laughs) Check. (laughs) Um, The next book we're going to be covering, Madeline has read, so we'll be uh, we'll be all set. But what's the next book? I thought you wanted to do The Hobbit. Yeah, me and Grace were read that book as we lay in bed next to our mother when we were small children. So. 
Or was that a different Madeline? (laughs) Okay, anyway. Yeah, we're just spoiling it right now. Our next episode will be about The Hobbit because it's our 50th episode, so we're doing something special. But right now we're talking about Fire and Hemlock. Rereading this was a very interesting experience. I feel very differently about the book now than I did when I was young. And both understandings were positive. I loved the book when I was young. I love it now. But now I have the tools to better unpack what's going on in terms of um, just like the different pieces of fiction and folklore that are woven into Fire and Hemlock. And then also the way that the different just human relationships work in the story. Um, I think that I this is a book that can and should be read by young adults, but I think it is a lot more challenging than many YA novels. Yeah. And I would not call this a children's book. I really wouldn't. I think it's just too confusing. Yeah. And when I say it's confusing... I don't mean that there are plot points that don't make sense or threads that are going in odd directions. It is perfectly constructed, in my opinion, but you have to work to follow it. Yeah, Yeah. Um, Every piece is there. And I knew from the start, because we were getting these epigraphs at at every chapter that were interwoven, so some were from Tamlin and some were from Thomas the Rhymer, And I noticed the similarity to Tom's name from the start. And those are actual. They're they're Scottish ballads. Yeah. yeah, um, Old Scottish ballads. And the content of those is the plot of this book. Yeah. Um, The main character, Janet in Tamlin, is the heroic woman warrior who's trying to save Tamlin from the king of the and queen of the fairies. Mm-hmm. Um, and Polly is Janet. Um, and I was really interested on this rereading. I noticed how specifically Polly said that she needed to be a boy when Tom was adventuring with her and mm-hmm. she was the hero in training and the hero's assistant. Um, and like, there are all these little moments like that, that play into like how I felt Polly was viewing her own identity and things that she was trying to figure out about how she wanted to be in the world yeah. and like trying to reconcile growing up and like going through puberty and becoming a woman with the more masculine, you know, stereotypically masculine activities that she wanted to be doing Mm -hmm. and like her confused years of trying to become an athlete and playing football, soccer with the boys. Um, but then putting on her best dress when she wanted to go see Tom and looking in the mirror and being so horrified Mm -hmm. that like, She's all torn up and gray and raggedy and just like trying to put together these two very different pieces of who she wants to be and who she is. And Mm -hmm. like that was really, really compelling for me because I felt a lot of that growing up. And I think a lot of girls do because it's impossible to be the kind of girl that you're (laughs) told to be, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we're all people and none of us are going to specifically fit perfectly with these gendered concepts of these just whether schematics you, whether you're being a little girl a little boy or any anything else anything in between on mm-hmm. the gender spectrum um it's impossible right. <laughs> there's, there's no way to really succeed and i feel like that fuels so much of polly's general just like depression that she goes through as she's growing up um it's way beyond her figuring out her own identity because she's in a really difficult family situation and she doesn't have a lot of people that truly care about her um, outside of granny, her grandmother and Tom, and then other people that she um, kind of are on the sidelines. She has friends. She has friends, but they change. And that's very realistic too. Mm -hmm. Like in being a kid and having your friendships shift 
suddenly and sometimes aggressively in new directions, um, depending on like whether you're into superstition club or whether you're into disco dancing, which are just some of the things that uh, Polly's friend Nina cycles through as her obsessions, ultimately ending on boys. Yeah. Um, and I just really dwelled on all of that on this rereading whereas I mean this is not going to be a surprise because this is how it has been for me rereading pretty much everything we've read but I just really took everything at face value as a kid um and when I when I read this I was for the first time I think I was like 13 Mm. um so I was old enough to be able to understand at least a little bit better but I still did find it confusing and I didn't, I wasn't quite able to work everything out. Mm-hmm. Also, now I've been to the UK, so it was exciting for me to to be able to put uh, kind of a larger understanding to what all these different places that she's visiting and traveling to are like because the book is very geographically oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are a lot of details about how Polly is traveling, where she needs to go and be. And part of that is because she's always being like shuttled from her mom's house to her granny's, uh, to trying to meet up with Thomas. Um, and one very ill-fated trip to see her dad in Bristol. Um, and, uh, knowing the distance that's involved with that too, just made it like so much sadder and more heartbreaking when she's standing alone on a bridge, completely penniless and without, a parent or any kind of guardian near her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So lots more to say still, but those were my, my main initial takeaways. Um, I feel so lucky to be able to have had books like this to read when young. Um, and you know, I'll never really be able to unpack all the ways that Diana Wynne Jones's work has affected me and Mm. shaped me. Um, but rereading it, I am just, yeah, super grateful for that. There's also a connection to Hall's moving castle that I didn't notice before, which is the use of a, real poem from our world word for word in a fantasy story as a set of instructions yeah um because there is a john dunn poem that's used in hell's moving castle which is the curse that hell is under and it represents how he can kind of escape it and the stories of tamlin and thomas the rhymer have the same function in fire and hemlock so that was cool i felt very tripped out by this book Mm -hmm. uh i walked around seattle while reading it on my phone um could not find an audiobook no me neither yeah and one that's why i was surprised um when you said that it looks like there had been a lot of teaching of the book because i was just thinking it would be more widely represented but it wasn't on any of the platforms i tried yeah no no not i not on any of the ones i pay for either um so that's interesting, um, but good. I feel like I would have missed a I lot. I don't think you should have listened I, to it. Yeah, if I did this in audiobook format, yeah, yeah. Uh, hard. Yeah, I just felt there. There were so many layers, and I found it quite painful to read. Yeah. Um, not in a not in like a bad way that I wanted to avoid, but yeah. it was just a very. Um, it's it's just it's really kind of cathartic in some ways in, because it in some ways delves into that adolescent pain. Yeah, I just I hate um, most most uh, school type mm-hmm. s- stories, and Polly's was enough separated from school that it was mm-hmm. okay. I just had such a bad time in in and around puberty in school, like from fifth grade until I was a senior in high school, um, that revisiting that at all or anything is, is still very difficult for me. Um, and, uh, seeing, a, I don't know. So I usually interpret things that have to do with school as, uh, the protagonist figuring out ways to separate themselves from that and like have coping mechanisms and do other things with it. Um, especially since, I mean, she, she had issues on all fronts. There was nothing, um, there wasn't like one solid 
pillar of support other than her grandmother, who was very important. But mm-hmm. even um, with Tom, he was in and out. It, she was really confused about what was going on with him, all this weird magical web of curses and stuff. Um, and it, it was fun, though, to kind of... Diana Wynne-Jones is very good at that magical realism, at blurring the line between reality and fantasy where you can kind of trip back over it back and forth and begin trying to make your own decisions about solving this mystery because of all the trails of breadcrumbs that Mm -hmm. she lays. It's just really fun to be able to get into it from that angle. She actually, there's a quote from Diana Wynne Jones that her goal was to write a book in which modern life and heroic mythical events approached one another so closely that they were nearly impossible to separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which she definitely succeeded in yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, so that was what struck me a lot about this book. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I sped through it. There wasn't, there, it was not difficult at all to get through it. On the contrary, I just like was totally sucked in um, and paid very close attention for the entire thing. So um, I very much enjoyed reading it. Very highly recommend for any adult. It really accomplishes that little magical knack that some writers have of setting up a fantasy that makes you feel like you could maybe stumble into it yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I could look at, you know, the little painting behind you and suddenly be like, Oh, I've seen that building in real life. And like, I had this right. other secret set of experiences yeah. that have just been tucked away. Um, and I think also just on a psychological level, it kind of just represents memory loss of childhood and growing up and the way that you do view that that like set little kind of sparkly golden period of your life um it it changes and it becomes harder to access and to look at the world in that same way um so i think that there's a theme of that as well because we go through polly's entire adolescence um i can't really think of another fantasy book um that i've read recently that quite so neatly really goes through like every month of her life mm-hmm. um and it's all the more interesting because it's her looking back on it at the end of childhood and like she's in college and she's moving out to live with her friend um and uh yeah that was kind of bittersweet as well so there's a big piece that I forgot to mention my old and new impressions um, but is really important to say and that is that I found it hard to read Polly and Tom's romance um, yeah I couldn't get on it at any level I, I remembered that that was going to happen um, it I'm just not comfortable with them meeting when she's 10 and he is 25 and them ultimately falling in love with each other and getting together when at that point she's 19. So he's 34. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more complicated because he's kind of a father figure to her um, throughout the book. And he really represents so much and I understand why she is so invested in him and why she falls in love with him but I found myself wishing that they had maintained a platonic relationship um and the introduction of yeah like a sexual attraction makes it uncomfortable yeah um and I, one of our, one of our listeners, it was Amy, I believe, who recommended this book, um, or requested it in the first place, uh, said that it's still one of her favorite books, even with its problematic elements. And as I read that, I was like, huh, I don't remember the book well enough right now. What are the problematic elements going to be? And then as soon as I started, I was like, right, they (laughs) end up together. Yeah. And maybe it's also because in some like 
uncomfortable ways. There are just moments where I was reminded of Lolita a little bit. Um, mm. and just like the adventures and kind of trips that they go on together and like driving in the car. And I'm not going to talk about Lolita at length, but uh, no, I understand what you're it saying. It made me think well, about it felt purposeful. Yeah. It didn't feel accidental. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the parallel with Lolita too, that it, it feels like, yeah, you're, you're supposed to be uncomfortable about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, Polly gets, pulled. yeah, because the other adults are saying all the time, like, this isn't like, this, is <laughs> this isn't cool. And like, I'll warn you again, don't go off with strange men. which People are saying to Polly constantly. Yeah. And her friend Nina counts the number of strange men that she goes off with. Yeah. Um, and it also, it feels like part of Polly getting pulled into the curse, mm-hmm. uh, totally. that like, she's gonna end up with this guy because that's, she just gets caught in the web of magic and that's how it comes out for both of them. Um, like, I don't feel like he is predatory, but no. I, but I do feel like it is just weird. It's weird circumstance for both of them. And it, it does feel kind of tied into the weird, uncomfortable magic stuff. Mm-hmm. It does. And I don't, yeah. And from that, like, I don't know how much of this is her being, yeah, compelled to mm-hmm. him in yeah. some way. Yeah. Also, he's like represented this source of comfort and um not security exactly because like you said he's very erratic he's always traveling to perform music um but uh he's like one of the few sort of things she can rely on in her life to just mm. continue to be there yeah it's, it's just that that's like tough for me and I was really unhappy <laughs> when they kiss at the end well yeah I thought I thought maybe, I don't know, until like the last page, I was like, oh, okay, they're not going to end up together. They have to do this in order to escape from the curse. But then by the very end, it was kind of like, yeah, we're ending up together. And I think for Polly, it's been so hard throughout the book to figure out exactly what she wants from romantic relationships, too. Mm -hmm. Like she's... uh, dating Seb in both of her versions of memory. And Seb, their relationship um, sucks. They have a she gets nothing good from relationship. it. He, from the start, I loved this touch. He is one of those teenage boys who you could sit with for five hours. You could spend an afternoon with and stop they have an infinite number of things to say about themselves and their interests they will not ask you and they do not and there are so many of them out there and i really think that you like young women teenagers girls are trained to just kind of be nice and grateful that someone is spending time with them um and you know draw out what they want to say and like care about their interests and I just can't even um I can't even count the number of times that I've been in situations like that and when I was young I thought that that was like friendship and that was you know a relationship in some way but there's no give and take and Seb is the embodiment of that I love when Gr- he's just like sitting there silently in Granny's kitchen, and Granny's like, "Talk about photography. I see you have a camera." And you can tell that she's just like, "Go, oh, God, yeah, just please, yeah. let's get through this." <laughs> um, and that really resonated in an upsetting way because when I was a younger woman, I ended up in multiple protracted romantic relationships because that, like, I knew all along. Uh, were not good and unhealthy and was like trying to find the door, but had been trained by my culture that it's not okay to say no to a man. You can't hurt the man's feelings. Yeah. That's the worst thing. And Polly has that problem. Yeah. So you have to like bend over backwards and literally be in a a relationship with them because letting them down would just be the worst. You now know. we love letting men down. So it's great. <laughs> um, and I, I also, <clears throat> so I've been reading the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante and they're not fantasy. Um, 
But if you are interested in exploring these themes more, there's a character named Nino in those books who is a Seb uh, to like the nth degree. So much worse. Um, Yeah, check them out if you're interested. They're brutal, but they're absolutely incredible. Um, And Polly is so awed by Nina because she it can very easily break up with dudes and tell them she's not interested in them. Yeah. Yeah, and that, I mean, there's just, there's so many true, true moments Mm -hmm. throughout this book. Um, Another, and and they're all the more stark rereading it and having more perspective. Um, But I also know that it was good for me to get to see that when I was young. I just wasn't able to put the same value on it and see, see like that this character is clearly being set up to be absolutely awful Yeah, as opposed to yeah having any kind of sympathy for them. And I, okay, so the version, popular highlights, the Kindle one that I read, mm-hmm. it it would underline things that were highlighted the most and there were only like 10 of them. And I really liked that feature because I, I like that a lot. They were really good uh, quotes to have highlighted. One that I really like is being a hero means ignoring how silly you feel. She had let Laurel embarrass her into a state in which she could not even think straight. That's really, really true. You, you can't, if you're going to be like true and right to yourself, you can't let the embarrassed or shameful feeling rise, mm-hmm. especially relevant, you know, for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really powerful. Yeah. I also, oh, something that really resonated with me is Polly sending Thomas her manuscript for her story that she writes. Um, and she's so proud of the one line that's like his muscles rippled under yes. his skin. Uh, and Tom writes back just the sentence, sentimental dribble, um, which on its surface, like, yes, that's cool. And you shouldn't talk to a child like that. But also it makes Polly consider that she actually isn't being honest in the writing that she's doing. Like she's trying to create something very flowery and lovely mm. and, the day that I realized that about my writing like changed everything for me. And now I try so hard to just be as clear as possible. And yeah, it's funny, but having that as like a guiding light makes everything so much easier and also makes the writing so much better. And when I was young, I wrote a lot of lines like that. Um, not about muscles rippling on our backs, but I did love the <laughs> ongoing joke then about like how disgusting backs actually were. <laughs> That's really great. And opportunities really great. to look at backs. Yeah. Um, when yeah. Tom's shirt is coming off after he gets injured. Yeah. He's like, you are about to see a back. <laughs> see a back. That's uh, really, really great. Okay. And then this is my other favorite popular highlight. 45 highlighters on this Kindle app. Two sides to nowhere, Polly thought. One really was a dead end. The other was the void that lay before you when you were making up something new out of ideas no one else had quite had before. Which is so true. It's so true. And it's also what's so terrifying about being, like, new and creative and, Mm -hmm. like, trying a different solution to a problem is that it could be a dead end or it could work out. And if it dead ends, then all you'll feel is failure, you know? Like you have, yeah. Well, and that the creative process is made tangible because of Tom's curse. Mm. And so as he and Polly are inventing their stories, they're feeling out what is right and what isn't. And what is right is what is real Mm. because they're creating it. But at the same time, when Polly tries to like pull a piece from Lord of the Rings and put that into the story, he says, no, you have to use your own ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's so cool to be able to witness that. And I really like the way that Dan and Jones played that out throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that Polly became a writer. I was a little sad that the quartet got to publish a book of stories that I know she had influence over too, because she, she and Tom were basically like co-writers on the stories about the heroes and about that group. Um, so I wish that she could have gotten, yeah, some recognition there. Yeah. The other big piece that really stood out to me on rereading, it was very hard for me 
is how neglected Polly is and the moment in which she says to her mom, we need to wash my hair. It's been a while. And not only does she have dreads from her hair being and like filled together, just caked in, she has lice. Yeah. Um, and, and her mom acts like it's like her fault. <laughs> yeah. Ivy Polly's mom is a real treat. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. She's extremely cruel. Uh, her father is equally cruel yeah, in a lot of ways. He just like hides a, from the cruelty yeah. and pretends like he's being a, a fun old dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and Polly maintains a strength throughout the book that is incredibly admirable. Shocking. Um, yeah. Like when her, here's another moment of childhood being lost when her mom just throws away all of her choice yeah. and says, well, they're gone. You need to move on. I left your books because those are more appropriate. Those are adult. (laughs) And things are just taken from her with astonishing speed and thoroughness. Like she loses her bedroom because a lodger is going to come. And then it's not just a lodger. It's her mom's new boyfriend. And then her mom. Who her mom hates. Who her mom (laughs) hates. And who is an alcoholic. and. What exactly were the notes that he was sending to the pub? Were they payments for his... They were just bets on dogs. Yeah. They were just, that's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it was because it was his one, like, he got to keep that private from his Ivy. secret. Yeah. And it, like, drove her nuts that he had that secret. And, yeah, he was also an alcoholic. And it turns out by the end being really weirdly flirtatious with Polly in a not yeah, totally joking way. Almost stepdaughter yeah. who at that point is 19. Um, yep. Pretty disgusting. Mm. And he's so complimentary of her looks throughout the book. And there's such a chilling moment when Polly says like, maybe those weren't just yeah. jokes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, horrible. There's and I guess that's why, it is striking that Thomas doesn't feel like a predator because there are so many other predatory men in mm. the book, um, like both teenagers and grown men who treat Polly in inappropriate ways or have um, inappropriate like thoughts or feelings toward her. Yeah. I feel like that happens a lot. Yeah. Even the old man who she takes the notes to keeps talking about her looks yeah. um, the whole time she's talking to him. Yeah. And I think Diana and Jones really does a good job of inserting Polly's appropriate responses to those moments to show like this isn't okay. Um, and I think for young readers, that's really, really helpful because sometimes you just, you don't really know how to take things. And as a girl, you're experiencing that all the time in life, starting from when you're very young, people treat you just like as something they can take from, they can touch and look at and, comment on you're not taught that you can for one say no let alone take something for yourself so i did appreciate that even though it's yeah it's hard it is hard to read mm-hmm. um but polly is uh, so resolute in herself and even though she is going through an identity crisis in a lot of ways she knows what she wants Mm -hmm. like she knows how to continue moving forward on her own path even if she's not sure who she is she's really incredible i yeah we need more characters like her Mm -hmm. um and uh I, I love thinking of her as the counterpoint to Janet from Tamlin and mm-hmm. like, but in the present day and she's still, uh, yeah, going through these like horrific events, um, both fantastical and real, like something like her parents divorce and also fighting, um, a monster made of papers <laughs> um, yeah, and all, and a horse running at her and attempting to trample her. And even in those moments where she feels like she isn't brave or doesn't do what she needs to do, mm. she does act as the assistant to Tom because she helps motivate him to do what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like in that way, I do see how they could be a good pair together. I just, I just won't be able to get over the age difference. Um, no, for me, it really wasn't. Cause like, I guess, 
one of one of my favorite fantasy romances is Dane and Numair. Yeah, from the uh, I was thinking about that well too. magic. Yeah, but it's also I kept thinking about that. But and they being live like, in a different society. It's yeah. It was actually like he he actually waited until she was like older for the times, you know. And um, Dane went through. Yeah, Dane was like a god. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Dane went through a lot. Yeah. She was deified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, and just her personal experiences um, as a human. The too. amount of responsibility that she took upon herself and like starting from when she, she was 12 yeah like she she was an adult because uh, like she had grown up mm-hmm. um polly it just i mean yeah she Polly has, is an adult from a young age absolutely also. but it's not the same level of like oh yeah we can just write that off like no and i and i also think that's part of what makes this book so unique is like she i know i just said she's an adult but she's still she's also still approaching the life of a child and she's living in like the same understandings and society as us like this book came mm-hmm. out in 1984 in the United States like it, it is quite recent and she's doing all the things you have to do like go to school and figure out where she's gonna live like she can't just go off on her own and fight monsters mm-hmm. you know she's not in a fantasy reality mm-hmm. she's in our real world yeah. with these fantasy elements coming up against her all the time Um, but she still has to live the life of a child Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that we get access to all these really real painful moments even as she's being able to show incredible feats of her personal strength Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah so that's why this book is amazing yeah (laughs) including other reasons too but uh, yeah I just I just want to like take Polly in and hang out with her and tell her like, you know, if you don't want to be with Tom, it's fine. Like take a little time. Yeah. <laughs> You're young. Think about it. You have options. Yeah. Um, I do, as I've said, I do understand why he's appealing and the discussion of watching him play his cello and of the quartet in general, yeah. all four of them are just, mm-hmm. they're so lovable yeah. and warm. And I appreciate the way that they ground Polly going forward and continue to send her music and letters um, and make her feel seen and appreciated by someone mm-hmm. um, other than granny who is also a wonderful character and has a cat with the cutest name ever mint which chocolate. is mint chalk after I mint chocolate chip ice cream granny. which he loves to mint chocolate. <laughs> the scene of her coming to get him for dinner and saying time for a nice fish dinner and then both of them like struggling to get together for her to lift him up and then she cuts him like fillets of really fancy nice fish that he eats that he gets to snack on <sighs> that scene felt so lovely and i appreciated Polly getting to have that in yeah. that moment too mm-hmm. like that she got at least those periods with granny of some warm domestic comfort like some having a home to mm-hmm. go back to and we find out that Granny's husband was actually stolen yes. by the Hunston House curse. Yeah. So maybe. Which is why she was so uh, adamant that she not enter the house from when yeah. she was young. So maybe Reg will get eaten by the curse, which would be great. It would be great. Reg is such a disaster. Reg, yeah, Polly's Reg father. Is a complete and utter just smoldering garbage heap <laughs> yeah them walking on the dark street while she's cold and she realizes that he's just like delaying having her meet his girlfriend is like yikes without eating without letting her use the bathroom yikes. like doesn't give her any money and turns no. her out to go home yeah when he knows that she was meant to stay there yeah yeah but he just like convinces himself that he's scum yeah absolute scum yeah okay so we've covered a lot of our segments in that rambling discussion, yeah, but romance, magic system, yep, yeah, um, animals, animals, <laughs> just like animals, animals in, in this, this book. This book. <laughs> um, but I would like to discuss pretend food. Pretend food. As you know, we feel very strongly about Diana Wynne Jones's pretend foodiness and her incredible contributions to our obsession. Um, namely 20th century butter pie from Tale of Time City. Um, But everything else too, the food in Witch Week is so disgusting and I I love it so much. Um, 
The food in Fire and Hemlock is specifically our world's food, very English food also, a lot of it, Um, but that doesn't mean we don't get some great passages. I really want some butter pie now. Don't think about the butter pies. (laughs) It's too late for us. Oh, wait, here, there's another one that Kindle marked for me. About food? Kind of. I hope so, because we're in pretend food right now. Bright, sharp streaks of sound, Polly thought. If you're able to hear lime juice, it would sound like violins. Yeah, I loved that too. The descriptions of the music were very, very good. And I don't know very much about classical music um, or string performance at all. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I felt that it was accessible for Mm -hmm. someone who isn't coming at it from that place. Um, I do love, I love cello music and Bach too. So I was really happy that Polly was getting a list of those tapes. I so my first favorite food passage was when uh, Polly and Tom are when they first arrive at what's the name of the town that they think they make up but that is real um when they first arrive at Stowe on the water and which made me think of uh Terry Pratchett (laughs) totally yeah (laughs) and they get so overwhelmed because the hardware store that they made up is there and the people they made up are inside it and they go to a little cafe across the street because they're both just totally freaking out (laughs) and uh Tom orders like a random assortment of garbage um two green milkshakes (laughs) The waitress looked wondering and asked him if that was what he really wanted. Yes, yes, he said. And then when she shows up with the food, the waitress came back with a tray and a look which said, don't blame me. This is what you ordered. She set out two ice cream cones, two cheese pancakes, two bright green milkshakes and an oat cake. (laughs) Mr. Lynn stared at it shaken or stared at it rather, but he was too shaken to protest. Um, and I just love thinking about just amazing. sitting down somewhere totally out of your mind and being like, we have to order food. Okay. Yeah. Here, 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 here. Bring it out. Yes. Like, that's what I want. Pointing at things. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I'd probably order something pretty similar to that if I were also having like a panic moment. Yeah. Everything's sweet on the menu. Bring it here. <laughs> yeah. And then in that moment, like sometimes you just need to eat. And eating can really help like calm you and reset mm-hmm. you after you realize that your mental creations are walking around. Um, and uh, I think that's something we can all remember. Have a snack. Yeah. Just have a snack. Studies have shown that judges issue much more favorable rulings after lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've read about that too. Yeah. Everybody eat your meals. Um, there is another great little flood of treats um I I feel like they're kind of I think Polly is hungry a lot like there's times when she talks about not having lunch so that she can use the money to use the telephone or her mom just forgetting about dinner and so she doesn't say anything her not wanting to bring it out because she knows her mom will get angry and uh, yeah very very dark so I really feel Polly's pleasure when she does get a treat So after Granny has successfully gotten legal guardianship of Polly by just bullying everyone in the various offices that she needs. So great. She bullies her way into custody. Culminating in her sitting um, for like over two and a half hours just staring in silence at an officer. Until he just breaks and he's like, I don't care. Just care what you want. Oh, it's Mrs. Whitaker. Give her anything. Get her out of here. Um, yeah, I really, that's when, I mean, I had affection for Granny throughout the book, um, but my love for her really blossomed in that moment mm-hmm. um, because she was doing what needed to be done. Uh, but she takes Polly for a little treat after they get everything sorted out and they have um, coffee and cake and ice cream. And Polly has developed a love of coffee ever since she had coffee some and ice cream. Anne's. And there's this great passage of her alternating between coffee and ice cream oh, about how yeah. the ice cream constricts her throat and, the and then the coffee expands, expands it. it. Yeah, no, that um, is really great. And I can't drink coffee anymore, but back when I could, like one of my favorite desserts of all time is coffee ice cream affogato. Um, affogato. It's ice cream. It's a scoop of vanilla ice cream with a shot of espresso poured over it. It's like a coffee float. It's incredible. It is so good. Hmm. Um, and that just 
That sounds great, back actually. Some delicious dessert memories of I mine. F- I feel like one time you we went somewhere and we had that together. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think so. A lost memory. <laughs> oh no. Don't lose your affogato memories. It's really it's okay. good. It's coming back. It's really, really good. Um and yeah, there so I think the the majority of the foods oh, and also the in addition to Anne's coffee that she shares, uh, I think it's Ed shares gives Polly a sandwich, another member of the quartet. It's a um, pocket sandwich. A pocket sandwich, <laughs> and it's bent, and it's warm it's and warm. weird. But she's so hungry and grateful, and yeah. this group is so kind and generous to her yeah. after her own family has Just turned her out. fails her. Um, so I really love that sandwich as well. It's, yeah. it's a, an affection sandwich. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of nice little teas throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm on board. Yeah. Uh, me we too. need to start having tea. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We need to have tea. It is true. <laughs> so that brings us to our final segment. This is going to be a longer episode. Um, Badass Lady Meter. Mm. So there are many wonderful female characters in yeah. this book, it's including really true. A, a wee discussed at length our love for the protagonist polly um but uh who would you like to pick as your badass lady i would like to pick mint jock Jock, (laughs) is mint jock even a lady i think so it doesn't matter (laughs) mint jock regardless of actual sex has the badass lady energy Totally agree. Um, and also mint chalk is an important um, marker for whether a person is yes, good or bad. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And mint chalk is also kind of like part of the spells because remember, mm-hmm. like you have to hold your collar until you see a four legged creature and mint chalk <laughs> was that creature. <laughs> so, and I rate mint chalk the truly unbeatable delight of both fancy raw fish and also mint chocolate chip ice cream. A combination that <laughs> few have dared to approach. But mint chocolate knows what's up. Um, yeah, so of course, uh, Polly is my favorite character in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've already talked at length about her. Yeah. And I want to shine a light on Granny. <laughs> I knew neither of us were going to do doing, the main we're character. We're doing a Granny mint chocolate pair. <laughs> I want an expanded universe, uh, like standalone tale about Granny and Granny Minchuk. Yeah. Um, Granny goes to Polly's plays. She shows up for sports day, even though her sciatica is really bothering. Sciatica is really bothering mm-hmm. her. Um, she tells off her parents. Tells off her horrible parents. Um, while still initially, she tries to maintain like some kind of contact between them and Polly, and like. She's clearly trying to give Polly like the best possible life. And when she realizes that means Polly living with her, she says, okay, then that's what we're going to do. Um, She is, has her own tragic story of her Mm -hmm. husband being taken to feed. And her son being a a garbage. Her son being an absolute nightmare that she's just so disappointed in who she actually apologizes to Polly about, which I thought was pretty impressive. I feel like not a lot of people in that role, even in fiction, are able to say that their children are terrible. Wow, I think I did something wrong and they've absolutely failed you and Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And I'm here now to take care of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my badass... Lady Meter rating for Granny is always feeling needed. This book was so good. It was a real wild ride. (laughs) A lot of uh, emotions, a lot of feelings. Yeah, I I don't even really know. I'm glad we're doing The Hobbit next. So, like, it's something very familiar. I'm really excited. And Um, that one, I know there are millions of audiobooks so. <laughs> yeah. i can't find an audiobook of the hobbit oh if you can something's wrong with you is your router plugged in <laughs> um but this book is so special uh i'm sorry i didn't have a thanks up front to amy who re- recommended yeah. it to requested it um but uh I, I was really really happy to reread it i i gained a lot from this experience mm-hmm. um and I'm definitely going to be thinking about Polly the next time I might be feeling 
not so courageous or second guessing something that I have set out to do. Um, Heroes don't feel silly. Exactly. I, I need to have that strength and not be concerned about mm-hmm. the possible embarrassment. It's just not yeah. going to get me there. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, Amy. Thank you, Polly. Um, thank you, all of you. And for Grandma listening. and Minchuk. Thank you, Grandma, Granny and Minchuk. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Moon. (laughs) (laughs) Chicken sticks, animal, Marion pig, all of our pets. (laughs) And as we said, all of you, thank you so much for listening. Um, If you would like to request a book, you can get in touch with us on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, on Twitter at dragonbabiespod, or you can just shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. As we said, we will be covering The Hobbit for our next full-length episode. I also have another Grace's Reading Corner episode. I did one on Ogre Enchanted, um, and I'm working on one on Briar's book, the final book from the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce, so that'll be up soon, too. Um, thank you for putting up with us in this weirdly scheduled period of time because June has just been a lot Um, but July will be more structured for both of us so get back on a regular schedule and yeah we appreciate you sticking with us in the meantime thanks so much you guys y'all I'm Grace and I'm Madeline until next time goodbye